0: This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am honored to welcome the extremely versatile Meg Bussert, who went from being one of Broadway's top ingenues in the 1980s to one of the most in-demand character actresses of today. Among her starring roles are Marion in The Music Man opposite Dick Van Dyke, Guinevere in with Richard Harris and Fiona in Brigadoon alongside Martin Vidnovic and John Curry. In Stock, she also played opposite Richard Kindly in South Pacific and John Rate in Kiss Me, Kate. Her other Broadway roles include Gory Stories, Lorelei, Irene, Something's Afoot, Damn Yankees, and Souvenir. She can also be heard on the recording of Maury Esten's Phantom as Carlotta. She performed in Lolita, My Love, On the Road, and portrayed Mrs. Pierce in My Fair Lady, at the New York Philharmonic. She is also a well-respected educator at NYU. And tonight, you can see her live in Connecticut in a concert celebrating Jonathan Tunick. Buy tickets for it in the episode description. And now, without further ado, the legendary Meg Bussert. So I'd love to to start by asking you um, how you first became interested in performing.
1: Okay, um, I, I... My, during World War II, my father was in, the, in in the navy, and when he got out, he had a band. There's actually a show about this. So he 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 did a lot of churches and everything. So he um, loved musical theater, and he loved big band sounds. So when I grew up, uh, he he gave that to all of his children. Um, we listened to all the great band leaders and all the musicals, and I started singing along with the, you know, and these would have been, I was young in the 50s and the 60s. And so uh, it would be Barbara Cook and and, um, uh, uh, Julie Andrews and, and all of those folks. And I could actually sing it by the time I was, you know, 13 to 16. And a high school musical teacher uh said, you know, Peggy, I was Peggy then. Margaret is my full name. I chose Meg as a professional name, but uh, Peggy, he said, um, you know, it's unusual that you can sing these things. He said, you're really, you know, you're okay singing these things. And I went, oh. So then I started auditioning for shows in schools. And in high school, I became a member of the National Thespian Society and uh, very big in the Midwest. I grew up just outside Chicago, Chicago area. And um, yeah, so I started doing all those things and uh, had some wonderful speech and drama teachers in high school where I went to Maine South in Park Ridge, Illinois, and um, they they cautioned me, you know, um, you can pursue this, but be careful because it's a really rough business. So I went initially to the University of Illinois and did every show that I could. And I majored in what was then speech education, which would have been debate and speech and and drama. It was all kind of, you know, they didn't really have a lot of BFA programs at that time in theater, but I did every show that I possibly could. Uh, I went to school just to do shows. And uh, then I didn't quite finish school. I did four years. Uh, I finished school much later in my life. Uh, and I ran off to New York to be the next Julie Andrews. And I started, um, they were correct. I could sing a lot of things. And I started booking right away. Um, Which surprised everybody, including me, and so I started doing chorus, big Broadway choruses. The first one was uh, Lolita, My Love, which was a horrible idea for a musical by Alan J. Lerner and John Barry, and that's how I got my equity card. I changed my name to Meg Scanlon because someone said Bussert wasn't a really good name for a theater person. So I changed my name to Meg Scanlon. So I was um, uh, Meg Scanlon for like two shows. And then I went back to Meg Bussard because I saw nothing wrong. I saw Rene Auberjonois in a show. And I said, if he can have a name like that, I can have Bussard. So um, so if you look at the recordings of Irene, um, I'm listed there as Meg Scanlon. And then I immediately changed. So I started in the chorus, you know, and um, gosh, I could just jump into it. I, I was um, frequently, kicked out of the wings because I would always watch the shows and some of the leading ladies in the shows that I were got really nervous because I was always there and the stage managers this was an Irene when I was um, uh, uh, in the chorus and Debbie Reynolds was the lead and she was marvelous and um, I just loved how she handled comedy she and Patsy Kelly it fascinated me because they would leave the script they would do kind of vaudeville things and that was my first live experience with how vaudevillian actors play the audience. I was fascinated. And this isn't something that you can really teach in a classroom. So I would every night watch her scenes. And um, she said something to the stage manager, said, I don't mind if Meg is watching, but every time I look off stage left, there she is. So the stage manager uh, allowed me to like hang behind him, his little booth. And so I could still watch the show, but I was not in, you know, miss um, Reynolds didn't have to see me. and. <laughs> <laughs> and wasn't pulled out of her moment, so that that taught me a lot, but um, I learned, uh, I started taking dance lessons right away, because I know I needed it, I found a great voice teacher in New York right away, uh, and I started acting classes, which a lot of us did at the time, and so while I was in these big choruses, I, um, I was also studying, and I learned, and I learned from, you know, Lauren Bacall, and uh, Debbie Reynolds, and Jane Powell, who just recently left us, and uh, I, you know, learned so much from Carol Channing. Um, uh, Just to watch these ladies was such a remarkable um, training session and to work with these these directors like Gower Champion, Michael Kidd, and uh, Peter Gennaro choreographer directors and it just so I was really fortunate. I was I came into the business kind of at the tail end of that huge uh, transition from uh, vaudeville musical comedy kind of shows into uh, more activist, more socially conscious shows that uh, were starting to get done in the in the 70s, the and 80s,
0: and 90s, and now today. So that's how I started, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd love to um go back a little bit and ask you about some of those roles that you did in college and what some of those were and which ones you enjoyed the most and
1: Well, back then they would have been doing the, you know, the classical things. It would have been uh, Music Man was something that I did with uh, at the University of Illinois, actually. And uh, um, at that time, musicals were considered not good theater. They were considered fun. So you had to do Shakespeare, you know, and you had to do all of these other, which was fine. I mean, I enjoyed doing that too, but I'd rather do the musicals. That was just how i felt so I, I did those kinds of things there oh what a lovely war was uh also in college that that introduced me to a whole genre of theater i didn't wasn't aware of which was the protest kind of you know take a let's make fun of something to show how 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 wrong-headed war can be you know so so it, it, it and i said whoa what an interesting way of approaching it you know not aggrandizing it or anything but say let's make fun of something to, to make a, a, a political or social statement. I went, that's cool. Let me see what else did we do? Bye uh, bye, by Birdie Bertie was huge, you know, in high schools. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it would, it would have been those Oklahoma, we all did Oklahoma a gazillion times and, um, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did you, when was the moment when you decided to move to New York?
1: Um, it was, uh, I was, um, at that time at the University of Illinois. I was in my fourth year of college, but I was running out of money. And because I changed majors so often, I was in that speech education and then I tried to, they started a theater uh, degree and I moved over into that. And then I went back into, uh, I didn't have great um, guidance counselors maybe. (laughs) So I spent four years and I just ran out of money. You know, Even back then, I wanna say tuition was $185 a semester at the University of Illinois, and uh, housing was like three or four hundred dollars a semester, and I didn't have the money for that because I was the oldest of seven kids, and uh, that's what it was. So um, I worked for a year. I left school, and then I saved my money and, and went to New York. You know, found a group of young people, and we, you know, three of us lived in a studio apartment, and we all auditioned. And um, in my forties, uh, I, I went back to school, and I got uh, at, at SUNY Purchase. Uh, in Purchase, New York and got my undergrad and then went on to get an MAT in, in teaching and certified as a teacher. So,
0: um, yeah. 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 <laughs> and what was your audition song that you would use?
1: Oh, How Are Things in Lacamora. Absolutely. That was it. And um, I love that show, um, Finian's Rainbow. Um, and, and I loved her music. She sa- She was a little low, lower for me. So I just raised it a little bit. And I grew up in an Irish German household, um, several generations removed. But uh, Irish uh, lilting. Every time my mother got angry, she'd go into a bit of a brogue, you know. So, so it it came to me quite easily. So to to play a character in Finian's Rainbow was just perfect, and um, it worked well for me um, that particular song. And then I moved on to other things. Uh, One thing I was able to do which was at the time considered unusual was I did have a a chess voice so I could sing some of the Merman things and I could really sing a lot of the uh, Mary Martin stuff. Mm -hmm. So in fact you know I would do a a Julie Andrews thing and then go and do Mary Martin and they go oh (laughs) oh you know because back in those days you were supposed to be able to do one particular sound and this was before the mixing of the voice before a lot of science came into the understanding of how the voice works. And I think smart teachers and smart singers always understood how the voice worked, but now they had the science behind them. And that's when uh, young women started, you know, in the 70s pretty much started moving into that mix, um, uh, that wonderful sound where they bring the head down and and you can't tell when the shifts of the registers happen. And, um, People say that, you know, that's how the old opera singers used to sing. They used to sing. They used to sound more like that because there were no microphones 400 years ago, and they were able to sing in these big theaters and heard. So it's that kind of mixy thing that kind of pings out, and uh,
0: it can go over a big orchestra. so. So how did you sort of find your niche in terms of the kind of roles that you would be playing? I went
1: back and forth, that was the thing. So I started in initially being known as kind of a, a belter singer. Uh, and then all of a sudden I was cast um, in as Fiona in Brigadoon. And everyone said, oh, you're doing Meg And I said, no, I'm being, doing Fiona. And they went, oh, you know. And then after that experience and getting a lot of press and all of that for that particular role, then they didn't believe that I could do the, the belty things. So, you know, I started auditioning for Kiss Me Kate's and and I could I could easily do I hate men in a nice belt and then go so in love in a nice legit. And they went, Oh, you know, so it was they one thing about I guess the arts in general, no matter what art you're doing, people want to pigeonhole you. They want to say this artist does that particular thing and that's what they do and they don't do anything else. And then you look at the the breadth of that particular artist's work and you go, whoa, you know, a lot of different things went into what supposedly they were known for. It's not that they do one thing. And you know that too, you, you just, all artists um, work very hard at what they do, no matter what it is. It takes a lot of training and you gotta look at the masters. That's why I was in the wings watching the people do the amazing things they did. And, um, no, and I, I learned a, a great deal from the gentlemen that I worked with too, some of those stars, um, Dick Van Dyke and, um, uh, Richard Harris and, uh, um, Richard Kiley, you know, really, um, different in very, very different ways and taught me a lot.
0: And I'd love to ask you more about, uh, Jane Powell, I think she did, unfortunately, just pass away.
1: Yeah, she, she replaced Debbie Reynolds and I was in the, the chorus of, of Irene and, um, uh, the the lady who was in the dressing room right next to me happened to be Carrie Fisher, oh. and uh, who's, those of you who might not know, is Debbie Reynolds' daughter, and she was 16, and I think I was 23 at the time. We had the same birth date. So every time we celebrated Carrie's birthday, we had to celebrate mine, which I thought was really clever. So um, I got to know her before all the, you know, the Star Wars kinds of stuff. And um, the show with Debbie was terrific and so much fun and a lot of stars, you know, around. And uh, Debbie then left. Uh, Jane Powell came in to replace her. And it was a very different character. It was so fun to see because Debbie was very uh, tomboyish and raucous and fun and, uh, um, Jane was a little a little more um, a little more like she was in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers that movie. She was um uh, very much her own woman, very strong, but in a very um different way. It was um like her keys were all different, too. They were higher and stuff. And um uh, it was so fascinating watching the the show change. The humor in the show actually changed. and uh, and it was just as good. it was it was really a wonderful opportunity to see two different interpretations. that's great because it started with, um, the first director was Sir John Gielgud. Um, and then uh, uh, he left, um, it was a complicated moment. And then Gower Champion came in and, and Peter Gennaro had always been the the uh, choreographer. So when Jane came in, you know, the, the whole, flavor of the show changed and um, it was a wonderful experience. And then uh, a few years after that, I was cast as Irene on the bus and truck. So um, in the old days, there used to be a big national tour which would play all the big cities and something called a bus and truck which would play like the secondary cities, the smaller cities. And it was called a bus and truck because the cast um, and the musicians and the crew traveled on buses and the scenery traveled on trucks. So it was called a bus and truck. And we would play split weeks. Like for Irene, we were out for 36 weeks and we played 74 cities. So split weeks was meant three days in one town, drive across the state and three days in the next town. And uh, and you you traveled on the bus, the crew traveled at night and would get up to the place, set up your show and the cast would come in, you'd go have dinner and then you'd go to the new place. and and do it. It was again, a remarkable experience. And I got to steal everything from Jane Powell and steal everything from Debbie Reynolds. And uh, the people that we played to had never seen the Broadway show. So they thought I was brilliant. And I was just borrowing all the business that I had watched. (laughs)
0: I'm very curious to uh, to talk about Lolita, my love, which is a famous show that closed out of town. And what was it like to be working with the uh, different directors, including Jack Cole? Uh, uh, it was, uh, was it was a troubled show
1: from the very beginning because the story is very awkward. Uh, to make into a musical it's about an older man who falls in love with a very young woman and uh, it's just awkward and the um, they had two different lolitas um, and one was um, I forgot which order it was. Uh, one was a mature uh, young woman she would she was still a teenager but she was a little more mature in in her presentation, and the second one was a little more um, innocent in her presentation which made the thing horrific so. Um, It was a cool thing to be involved in because you could see all of the the creatives and the production team going crazy trying to figure out how to make this interesting story, interesting, palatable, uh, and you're dealing with, you know, a a very difficult topic. So, uh, how was it? It was a fascinating experience. Uh, And it was, you know, the the further away I got from it, um, it was like,
0: why would they do that? Why would they do that?
1: Um, so, but the people involved, the actors, the, the dancers, the choreography, um, it, it just brilliant. Just really, really great work. And um, it was, we played three three towns, I think, and then came back in and re, reworked it. And finally they decided to close it. But I, I had no idea um, how complicated an out-of-town run could be. Um, you know, I just thought they did shows. They put it together. They tried it out. They go to New York, and then there it is. You know, because that's all my experience. I only visited and got to know the shows that made it, not the ones that didn't. So to to be introduced into the profession by a big flop uh, with really smart people putting it together uh, was really a marvelous entry. I think it prepared me for a lot of different things.
0: How have you felt throughout your career about critics? And their role in the theater.
1: Um, I've enjoyed them actually. I was um, uh, I was fortunate that um, when I started getting personally reviewed, um, they liked me a lot, so that was good. But then I would find um, the more established I got, they they some people would give you a rave, and then seeing the same show, another critic would give you a pan. So it was like in in when I opened in uh, Music Man, I like got a, a lot of wonderful notices. And then like six months later, when I opened in Brigadoon, I think Frank Rich said I was really fabulous and compared me to um, Julie Anders and uh, Mary Martin. And then another famous critic, who I won't mention, um, said that I was old and shrill. So, and he had given me a rave like the six months before. So in six months, I became old and shrill. <laughs> And I said, oh, how interesting. And my agent said, you know, don't don't read the reviews, you know, don't because, but I wasn't personally upset. I was like, well, really? Uh, But it didn't, you know, you get so many people, this is before social media, before everyone has an opinion and you see everybody's opinion. Um, uh, There was another occasion where I was touring with HMS Pinafore doing Josephine uh, with uh, Ron Moody. And that was a company that came out of Canada. And we, uh, we were kind of in and then did, uh, several big cities in the States. And we were in San Francisco. And one of the critics said that uh, uh, they clearly had lowered all the keys for Meg Bussert because she sang it much too easily. Well, they hadn't lowered the keys for Meg Bussard. So if I sang it much too easily, that should be a plus. So I wrote that critic back. <laughs> And, um, you know, again, my agent said, yes, let it go. I said, uh-uh, no. <laughs> no, no. And so I, and I never got a response, but I felt very vindicated at that time. But, you know, I said, no, they didn't lower the keys. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed the, the ease with which. <laughs> so anyway. But yeah, I think you have to, different personalities deal with critics differently, you know, and you have to understand your own work and, and believe in it. And, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes the piece isn't gonna work or it's not gonna work for you. That just happens. So when that happens, you have to figure out what you're gonna do with that information, you know? Yeah. Everything isn't perfect.
0: <laughs> As you were becoming at this point, one of the uh, biggest and most in-demand stars on Broadway with The Music Man and Camelot and Brigadood and all that, I'd be curious, um, was there ever a role that you turned down a couple of little little things uh there
1: was a, a um there were a, a replacement in barnum uh kept coming up uh for, for cherry and um i don't know i just got involved in, in other things i wish i had done that i did do barnum and uh, in, in, in later but i wish i had done it you know on broadway at that time um but i got kind of locked into um the casting people Kind of pigeonholed me in. She does the revivals of the old shows, so uh, it was complicated to to get some of the newer pieces. And I was able to do them more regionally than I was, you know, uh, in the bigger productions. And then after after you know uh, approaching forty years old, uh, they start to retire you. And and so because I was locked into that young young leading lady ingenue kind of old show. Uh, and uh, I I had a hard time kind of moving into the next age category. Um, So that's when I left the business for a while. I'm also raising two kids during this. Um, I left the business, went back to school, got my undergrad degree, got my graduate degree, certified as a a high school teacher, and uh, taught for two years. And then I was um, uh, applied, there was an opening at NYU for a teacher of acting to singers, And I I saw it in the New York Times and I went, oh, this is interesting. And I had like two people in the business call me and they say, did you see the Times? Did you see the ads in the Times today? And so I I, I applied for that and I got that job. So it was um, and then I was old enough to have jumped into the the older category. They then realized that, ah, she can do these older, but I was then tied to a full uh, teaching gig at NYU as full-time faculty, which, you know, you're going to experience pretty soon. It's not just teaching, you're on committee work, you're on uh, planning thing, you're all, it's a very complicated uh, and wonderful, full, rich experience to be a full-time professor, but it limited the amount of uh, shows I was available then to do. I still was able to do some and, you know, but yeah, so.
0: So I'd love to ask um, how something's afoot happened. Mm. Did?
1: Uh, it had been around in regionally. Uh, it's a, a musical of, um, uh, at one time, it's the 10 Little Indians. They changed the title now to something else, but it's, um, it's a, 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 a mystery uh, about uh, a party in uh, a very wealthy area somewhere in the uk and everybody dies <laughs> except the uh the in the film in the story everyone dies except the the juvenile and, and the ingenue uh but in the musical everybody dies which was the joke um so uh they um uh the show had been around uh tony tanner was directing it and it was coming to broadway with tessie o'shea he had been um traveling with um what's her name from uh she did, uh, um, Carol. Pat Carroll, yes, Pat Carroll was, was, didn't do the Broadway, but she had been doing it uh, around the country, so Tassie O'Shea was a British actress who came in, who's very good at that musical kind of um, acting, which is what, what the show is about, it was, musical is very, uh, very similar to American vaudeville, just a little bit different, it has that English flavor to it, and um, so she came in, and they cast it, and uh, Tony, I, uh, knew me, and, and so I was hired to, Understudy the two um, ingenues. There was a, a cockney maid, and then there was the ingenue. And they were very stereotypical roles, uh, which was fun. The whole point was that everything was kind of over the top, and you know, if you were the uh, the maid, then you were the quintessential, you know, maid. If you were the, the leading lady, you were the quintessential leading lady. And um, it was great, great fun to to do that show. It's just a very fun, silly show. A lot of schools are doing it now.
0: Why do you think that it wasn't able to find as much success on Broadway?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I think it was, you know, some of these things have to do with the timing when they're opening, what's going on on Broadway at the time. Uh, You know, uh, several of, um, you know, Mr. Sondheim's work uh, found a a wider audience later than their original productions. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, sometimes you do something that you kind of fall in love with. A gory stories was another one that Tony yeah. Tanner did, and that closed opening night. I thought that was brilliant. Um, you know, it was Edward uh, Gory work. The, the you know man who does all the caricatures in black and white with one little red thing um, that he wants you to focus on, uh, and very scary, ghoulish kinds of stories in his books, and that was musicalized and uh, a very targeted audience. Some people would find it brilliant others but nee. you know so it's a tough business you can't always make the right call.
0: I'd love to ask you um, more about Tessie O'Shea and also uh Jemsy Jims, DeLapp who you worked with on Gory Stories.
1: Yeah Gory Stories. yeah um uh Jemsy um I, I understand uh a, a little bit better because she was the Agnes DeMille dancer and and since I did Brigadoon with Agnes DeMille and Jemsy was there teaching us you know uh, uh Jemsy was the uh I think she was the, the dancing Lori. Um, I don't know if she was the original, but she was certainly one of them. And um, that that kind of connection, that kind of history was uh, just just amazing uh, to watch Gen Z work. And uh, uh, the work that she did in, there was a, the, a story about the dancer um, who, it dies at the end, <laughs> but Gemzy did. That was her main character, and I, I covered that. But um, uh, yeah, so I had a, a, a personal connection with Gemzy through through Brigadoon and and through Missy Mill. Tessie um, I didn't really know very well, other than you know, again, she was such a an expert at the the, the music hall work, and uh, great fun to watch.
0: Yeah. Um, so and with uh gory stories i believe that edward gory himself was also involved
1: oh yes oh yes he's absolutely absolutely involved yeah
0: did you did you meet him or talk to him yes
1: yeah i well yes i I met him i didn't spend a lot of time with him but yes he showed up and he would wear his his mink coat he was known for you know that's he just wore it all the time (laughs) uh and uh, you know he's um he was very flamboyant in his work, but I think in his person, uh, in, and he dressed, you know, kooky and fun. But um, you know, a very serious artist. He, he wasn't. Um, he was quieter than you would expect. I think I find that in a lot of very intense, good artists, they their explosions come out in their work, and their personalities uh, surprisingly are quieter. You know I found that with Dick Van Dyke, you know, who very um, he's uh, what they would call a uh, uh, he he definitely was from the ilk of of uh, comic timing and and uh, vaudevillian work. and he was he taught me a lot about comedy. But as a person, he was kind of quiet when you sat down and talked to him. He wasn't on all the time. And the minute he stepped into the stage, he was on, you know, so. Uh, it was a very different personality. Um,
0: yeah. And um, among the other great um, male stars in the theater who you worked with was John Raid. Um, um, yes, um, that was a summer gig
1: of Kiss Me Kate. And I was doing um, uh, Louis Bianca in that. And uh, he was, the, the thing about John is he, he was such a nice man that, Parts of Petruchio, but the audiences totally loved him. And then he would come out at the very end and he would sing, hey there, you with the stars. You know, and everybody would, the audience would scream and yell and holler. It was definitely a summer star kind of thing. And just, he was a very, very nice man. And again, you know, major, major star. So it didn't no matter what he did, he just he was there. <laughs> and people loved him, so.
0: What do you think was the difference in these people who were stars in that era of of the forties and
1: i don't know if there's a difference i think that the expectations or what the audience wanted i mean um what what john rate did in in carousel was absolutely astounding you know so stunning on stage and i didn't see it but you know there's evidences and and critiques of what he did and, and those kinds of um things are different today, look at Hamilton. I mean, it's just, it's a a different need. You know, John Rae maybe wouldn't have made it at this time quite the way he did. So the, you know, the the material that performers are working on um, has an awful lot to do with the expressions and what's expected. And I think Hamilton is brilliant, I think. Uh, come from away is brilliant. I mean, all of these marvelous things that are happening now wouldn't have worked maybe 40 years ago, 50 years ago. It was a different, also coming out of um, World War II, you know, there was a lot of changing in, in uh, in the whole country at the time. You know, women had been working during the war and then all of a sudden the young men came back and the women went back into being moms and not working. And that was kind of a really interesting thing then you have Rodgers and Hammerstein writing a musical called South Pacific, which wins a Pulitzer Prize because it's after the war. And all of a sudden we're examining all sorts of different issues with that piece. Uh, then a the change starts happening in in the writing, you know, how, how to succeed in business without really trying and Fiorello. And then you get into, I'm into all the Pulitzer Prize winning musicals. I, I want to teach a course on them um, because they're uh, you can see a marvelous evolution in musical theater storytelling, if you just look at the, the 10 musical Pulitzer Prize winners.
0: <laughs> yeah. and I'd love to ask you about um, a show you did on tour, which was Applause with uh, Lauren Bacall and mm-hmm. Sandifers, Eve and Leroy Rainson, all mm-hmm. these great
1: people. Yeah, that was, um, uh, again, it was very early on and uh, she was amazing to watch. Uh, we toured all the big cities and when we got to Los Angeles um, there was a big party she would give a party every time we hit It was terrific uh, and I met so many stars Hollywood stars I mean they all showed up to see Betty Bacall and uh, it was uh, really a marvelous marvelous experience and yeah just fun I was very fortunate to have done those big shows and worked with those people. Uh, it was the best training you know, that uh, anyone could really have and to be able to have the opportunity to share it with young people coming up. Um, you know, the the techniques that an actor uses are not all that different. The material might be different, but how you walk into a character, how you create the character, it hasn't changed all that much over the years, you know. Um, you can see a lot of uh, a lot of connection between Hamilton and Gilbert and Sullivan. You know, I mean, the the, the whole rap kind of you could say that uh, you know Gilbert and Sullivan kind of created the rap song, uh, you know, the hip hop song because um, because they did. <laughs> so um, I don't know. There's a lot of marvelous connections. Yeah the line of history and evolvement of musical storytelling.
0: And so I'd love to ask um, how the Music Man happened, your first uh, big Broadway starring role? Yeah, that
1: was an audition of, you know, probably five or six auditions. Um, And uh, at the the end of it, uh, Michael Kidd was directing, um, instead of a big dance call, uh, he, Michael Kidd, danced with each one of the the finalist ladies so I mean I was like oh my god I'm dancing with Michael Kidd so he just wanted to see you know how we followed in in the you know and he uh he was pretty astute you know so I'm um, I think one of the things that helped me was that I did a lot of uh watching the Mary, uh, watching I watch it show and uh, loving the relationship between he and Mary Tyler Moore, and so I had as my character image for Marion, I had Mary Tyler Moore swimming around in my head, and uh, her she had a very uh, de- definite style of speaking, and a definite style of arguing with him as his wife on the on the Dick Van Dyke Show. So I I kind of mimicked some of that in the scenes, you know, where she's kind of yelling at him. Uh, Marion is, you know, and uh, and they. <laughs> apparently it worked so I got hired but there there was a scene in the Music Man where Charlie Cowell who is uh a um a salesman who is angry (laughs) at Harold Hill because Harold Hill gets to the towns before Charlie Cowell and he usually um gets all the work you know so so by the time Charlie makes it to the town Harold has been there and uh you know so he's really upset so he wants to expose Um, Harold for the charlatan that he is indeed so he ends up um, coming to River City he's going to find the mayor because he wants to tell the mayor he's got proof that Harold Hill is a charlatan and Marion runs into him uh, and she hears from Charlie called he's got a girl in every town and you know he's a liar and he's a cheat and she's at this point in the play she's kind of falling for him you know she's tried to not like him because she does know he's not truthful. Uh, and she suspects that everything he's selling is, is just a hill of beans. And um, so she ends up grabbing Charlie Cowell and kissing him to make him late for his train, which is a huge thing for this young woman to do back in aught, what is it, 1990, whatever it's supposed to take place. So um, then Charlie Cowell leaves to run for his train. So he never gets to see the the, the mayor. And then Harold Hill walks in and finds Mary, Marianne, and Marion's all upset and she says you know is it true that you you know you've had a girlfriend and, you know she keeps stopping herself and she's really upset by the information she's received and tries to get information from him and as the scene evolves she ends up doing all the talking and he just kind of nod, nods his head and by the end of the scene she has convinced herself without any help from him that he's okay that he's fine and uh I had trouble with that scene I said you know this is um, it, I knew it was comic, you know, I knew it had a timing thing to it. And I kind of, you know, so I asked him about it because he's just so funny. He said, you know what? He said, I, Harold, uh, I'm going to kind of look at you because I think you're cute anyway. I'm going to look at you and you're going to do that female thing of just chattering all the time over me. Uh, and I'm just going to start nodding my head, half listening, half not listening. And uh, and he said, it. Let's try that. So, um, you know, we we did it a little bit um, off stage. And then when we got to the scene, the first night I tried it, the audience thought it was hilarious. And, you know, and all he did, he, and it was his reaction that was funny. I was like, oh, but you know, and, and I just kind of, I talked myself out of him being a crook. I did, and all he did was, uh-huh, yeah, okay. He just kind of was flummoxed in the whole time. And that was the comedy and that was uh, the pacing and the stuff. And then, of course, he walks off stage. And then I looked out to the audience, going, Oh, isn't that wonderful? And all of a sudden, my whole face changed, going, Oh my God, what did I just do? I made a date with him. <gasps> you know, so it was a huge uh, moment for the character of Marion. And it really set up her understanding of him. Yeah, he was a charlatan. But he he can change and he is changing and that's what she sees and that's what throws him so when they do get on that you know they finally meet till there was you he's like so overwhelmed by the acceptance he feels from her which he's he doesn't necessarily like himself you know all that comes up and it all hinged on that one scene and again it was the most remarkable um learning moment as a musical actress to to be able to to work with someone who is that uh, aware of how energy and timing and and um, intonation uh, works in comedy, I didn't have the years that he did, and uh, so that was an astounding thing for me. So that's one of my most favorite experiences. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And what has it been like for you in general to find romantic chemistry on stage? And has it ever been particularly hard with?
1: No, because I've been very fortunate working with other professionals. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, you know, the idea that you always fall in love is kind of silly. Uh, it's work, you know, it's work. And, um, you know, it, it, there are boundaries, which you, that's part of the work. And um, that's what rehearsal is about is understanding like i worked i did a music man with john davidson and um it was actually in, in fort bragg we were brought down to do the music man with the army the army had a a, a, a um community theater there so all of river city was the army guys families and girls and the, uh you know the um uh, the engineers the army engineers built the sets which were a hoot because the Peru house was a real house. Ah. It was really something so anyway um uh, i met him that the day we checked in for rehearsal you know and then we were doing things out of um you know w- the scenes you know when you rehearse a show you don't usually start at the beginning and go to the end lots of times it's you know cut and paste and so we went into one of the later scenes where they were much closer um and so it was like 45 minutes, you know, we joked to 45 minutes now. He says, I've got my arm around you. You know, I just met you 45 minutes ago. And that, you know, that was the joke. And that was part of what we understood to be okay, you know, and again, directors are uh, professional people and they're very uh, directors and choreographers are very aware of um, how to, uh, how to bring about uh, the the rehearsal of the intimate moments on stage. And you know, even in a musical, you're going to have a nice hug, and a big kiss, and a, and a whatever, and all, and that's not, um, it's something that needs to be uh, gently handled, and in my experience, it always was, and um, um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it might, to someone who's not done a lot of acting, it it might seem daunting, but not, not to the, not if that's what you do, because that's what you do. You're telling a love story, so you're telling a love
0: story. Of course, Michael Kidd is one of the best of the best directors on Broadway. And how did you find working with him? Maybe somewhat later in his career.
1: Oh, it, it was great. It was it was terrific. You know, he's he's a dancer first. He's absolutely a dancer first. And one of the things in Music Man was um, <laughs> he he choreographed some brilliant uh, moments. And curiously in that chorus was the daughter of Peter Gennaro, Liza Gennaro, who was again a teenager. And uh, it was a very young group of dancers because they're all high school kids, you know, in The Music Man. So he he choreographed some of the most astounding physical things, like they were throwing the girls across and catching them and doing all these lifts and uh, the shapoopy dance was just unbelievable. Um, so uh, every time we would go out of a big uh, production number and then go back to the story It was always Mary and story uh it, it all the energy would kind of come down because now we were talking and now we were dealing with mama and music lessons and this stranger coming in and um one time early on um uh in the rehearsals uh Michael came into my dressing room and he said you know um May, can you sing faster I went okay what's wrong you know what wh- why should he said well he said we got all this energy going and all of this and all of a sudden you know you come in and you sing a slow song and the um Milt Rosenstock was our our, our brilliant conductor and he was you know older at this point too and he had done how many brilliant hits on Broadway <laughs> and he said that it was Michael she's got all the ballads Marian sings all the ballads she can't sing any faster wouldn't be a ballad <laughs> no. And you know, I said, thank you. And it hadn't occurred to me that, you know, but that's what you know, and then um, when was singing uh, my white knight, uh, that's a, a difficult song to pull off if you if you will, and because it's a it's a monologue. Uh, it's told to her mother, but she really goes through this internal argument about, and it was also cut and pasted from a very long piece. Um, so, it's it's a tricky thing. I've always loved it, um, but Michael wasn't thrilled, and he said, you know, what if we cut that? And I'm like, <laughs> cut my what?" night. Um, so, uh, when we were in, um, um, I want to say Lake Tahoe, maybe it was, uh, not, yeah, I think it was, uh, and we were uh, playing one of the, the huge um, um, gambling venues up there, um, uh, the, the um, writer Meredith Wilson happened to come and see the show and that was like oh really kind of astounding um, and he came backstage afterwards and you know he told me he liked my energy and he liked this and he liked that and I was like oh my goodness and he said can you do me a favor and I said what he said can you sing my triplets in my white night? and I went okay I like what am I doing so I ran to the score and I looked at it and then I called Milton Milton came in and and I said Meredith Wilson just asked me to sing his triplets. And he said, I told you to do that first day. So I said, what are they talking about? I looked at the music and we went over it. And what happens is my white night. So what the vocal does is kind of trip over and it has a little drag feeling. And then what was going on underneath in the music were the strings kind of zzzz underneath. But there was definitely a feeling, a square feeling. Even in the strings. So, if you're tripleting over a square feeling, it has a really interesting musical um, atmosphere. And that's, I was acting it. So, I was phrasing all over the place. So, when I went back and um, got much, much closer to the notation on the page, all of a sudden the song, the high note at the end, started getting uh, hoots and hollers and cheers and yells. And I went, wow. And I began to realize that. Good music theater writing quite frequently puts the acting into the notation, into the music itself. And that taught me a lesson, which I've given to my students ever since. Don't start phrasing until you've explored what the composer and the lyricist have given you. If you're singing Irving Berlin, it's fine to phrase all over the place. If you're singing Richard Rogers or Stephen Sondheim, maybe not. So um, it, it just it was such a, a lesson, um, and I don't know, you know, if I would have, how I would have gotten that lesson, because I was always walked into my characters as an actor, always walked in to, um, you know, I looked at the score and if I had the notes, eh, okay, I can sing it. Uh, I was so much more concerned with how I was going to tell the story, and uh, all of a sudden I went, hey, see what they gave you first.
0: And another uh, veteran in the cast of the Music Man was E. Wolfington, who was in the original cast as well. And so, what was it like to be collaborating with him?
1: Oh, he was a lot of fun. I mean, he was—he was a a vaudevillian from the word go, you know. And uh, and he just again, uh, just these people, you know, the older shows wrote comics in a certain way, and he he knew how to do that, you know. So um, the same way in HMS uh, Pinafore, um, Ron Moody was playing Sir Joseph. Porter KCB and he did it all musical so he would come in and he would have funny little bits that were not in the script at all but that was musical and that was what that character was supposed to do um, um in in uh, Patsy Kelly in in uh, Irene again she was the mother who was drinking all the beer you know and, and you know yelling at her daughter because she's not married you know and all this kind of stuff and the 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 comedy that they brought into it was physical and um, they stepped away from the script and that's what you were supposed to do you know again a whole style of performing that um when the pros do it you just have to watch uh,
0: and learn yeah and so you did a lot more of the great morals in our regional theater and in stock but i'd be curious to ask is there one that you didn't get to do that you would have liked to do
1: uh, no, I would rather say there's one that I did that I was thrilled to have done, and that was Phantom, Maury and Arthur Phantom. I got to play the bad guy, finally, and it was the most fun of anything I've ever done. Uh, the the most, uh, one of the, I said Music Man, Camelot, those those roles, Fiona, they were, each one of them held something very, very special. But to be able to be the bad guy and to be uh, a soprano who sings a little badly and who gets to poison the soprano on stage. So uh, Carlotta, La Carlotta is what she's referred to in the Moriester Archivant, is different from um, the Phantom of the Opera, um, Carlotta. Uh, in um, in the, the Moriester work, uh, she gets to sing badly off key if you want to, you know, you can do all sorts of stuff. But then she's got this marvelous aria called This Place is Mine, where she's just Awful. You know, she's running uh this opera company into the ground because she's not a businesswoman and she's no longer the star. And then in walks, you know, the phantoms living in her basement, and um, you know, in walks this adorable, beautiful, gorgeous singer who she hates immediately. And the audience loves this, this um, you know, older woman who just can't get past the fact that she's a mess. <laughs> and she gets to um to kill. She gets to to poison her um, her nemesis, her the young woman who's going to come up and take her place, and the Phantom then kills Carlotta on stage. So that's another huge thing. So um, I did it at Westchester Broadway Theater, and um, they had Christmas tree lights in my wig. The wig was huge, and they, when the um, Phantom uh, he electrocutes her because electricity would have been very new in the theaters at the time. That um, the Phantom takes place. So the Christmas tree lights were rigged to go on and off and on and off while I'm getting electrocuted. And uh, then there were flash pots that went off. It was really kind of fun. So early on in the run, we, we did this for a long time, six, eight months. Um, I The lights came down and I walked off the, the little circular staircase that I was electrocuted on and walked into the hallway. But under my gown, I guess I had captured a lot of the, the smoke from the flash pot. And all the um, the uh, smoke alarms went off in the entire building. This was a huge dinner theater. So they had to, uh, you know, everyone had to get up and leave the, the dinner theater. All the actors had to go out. Everybody were all in the parking lot. The um, fire marshal had to come. And, you know, it took like an hour and a half to get everything cleared. And then we went back. And um, they, they realized that they had to turn the smoke alarms backstage off for that scene. <laughs> so that was... Um, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> but the role itself was just ideal. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Maury Yeston's work. Oh, yes.
0: And I believe that that was where you worked with Jonathan Tunick, who
1: I- um... Yes, well, we did the recording. Yeah, uh, of, um, um, they they couldn't bring that phantom into the city because Andrew Lloyd Webber's phantom was still running and they, it was, uh, you know, some sort of um, business thing. It was just, they were not allowed to have the two um so um that more yesterday the copets phantom had a huge success uh, regionally a lot of regional theaters did it and it's it's a different show and it's kind of fun yeah uh, to, to see it and yes and so we we did that recording and i would known jonathan from a couple other um, run-ins but uh, yeah so that was that was fun and and we are going to do that uh, that benefit oh um, so um, uh, October 2nd at the Sharon Playhouse in Sharon, Connecticut, uh, they're doing a, um, uh, a tribute to Jonathan Tunick, and I will be part of that. And I mean, his shows include um, uh, Promises, Promises, um, Phantom, um, uh, um, Titanic, again, more a Yeston, and then uh, about six or so or more a Sondheim yeah. pieces. So um, uh, uh, what was the one? The um, uh, night music is part of it. And uh, do you remember the others? There's ah, so like a whole follies he worked on. Follies, right, right, right. So, what they've done is they've got a 26 piece orchestra and they're going to spread them out all over the theater and um, uh, some uh, theater veterans like myself and then uh, a bunch of other wonderful singer actors, uh, uh, a small group. And then they're going to sell out part of the, uh, the theater, not the whole thing. And it's a COVID, you know, safe situation um so yeah i'm really proud to be a part of that and this this man's work he's an orchestrator uh, supreme uh if you listen to uh, almost anything that he's done the, the uh he tells the story he he helps tell the story and he gives a talk about the notations that the um composer and lyricists have given you in the music he takes that even further and when you begin to hear how he how he accommodates the inner workings of the character in in the orchestrations. It's uh, your work. You know your work is done for you. If you really, you can just oh listen to to what's done and um, yeah. So you know we tell young people when we're in training, don't do the work of the music. Let the music do the music's work, and and you do the character. Yeah, so, um, it's it's really astounding work, and I don't think the good orchestrators get the the credit that they deserve so this is one opportunity to, to give credit to at
0: least one of them oh yes yes and that sounds very exciting and everything so um Brigadoon I believe was the next show you started on Broadway after the music band and that was with uh two other great performers Martin Vindovic and John Curry right right and what was your sort of relationship with both of them oh.
1: They were great. They were great. Marty was phenomenal. Uh, he was, you know, again, he was like the, the perfect um, young man to fall in love with, you know, uh, and he, you know, he is married. I was married. You know, we were, uh, it was fine. It was. We, we got along great. And um, he's, he was very, very funny uh, offstage. He's a very clever man. And uh, he just had one of those unbelievable sounds. One of those great um a throwback probably to to but just um a rich rich sound and John Curry was a blast he was he won all sorts of ice skating uh, awards and to have him play Harry Beaton uh was a lot of fun I mean he had a, a really good time doing it and then, and then working with Agnes DeMille I mean uh she she walked into the first day of rehearsal and it was really Uh, she was like 72 and she walked in with her with Jemsey DeLapp and um, uh, Marshall Thomas who were her assistants and it was a legend walking in I mean it was everything got really quiet (laughs) oh my god it's is Agnes DeMille so that was uh, it was uh, wonderful and Vivian Madeline was a terrific director so the whole experience um, was very exciting and Alan J. Lerner uh, I had a nice relationship with him. since I did so many of the learner in low pieces um he came back and and chatted with me and then the same in Camelot. Uh, he you know gave me some wonderful notes and uh yeah so I was really fortunate with all these
0: folks yeah yeah and you have worked with a lot of the greatest choreographers and I'm curious to know do you consider yourself a dancer mainly or
1: no, not at all uh, i i'm I was considered a singer who moved really well and uh no, you know I wouldn't Uh, ever really take on a dance role uh, a lot of dancing in Irene because Debbie was very good at dancing. Um, And uh, that was of the triple threat. Uh, I consider myself an actor first, a singer second, and a mover, (laughs) a great mover. And uh, I, I danced well enough that most of the, when I was in the leading positions, most of the choreographers could work with me, you know, and like, uh, the, one of the fun things that Michael Kidd did in the Mary and the librarian number uh, in the library oh my gosh he had uh, Dick and I do all sorts of very silly things like Dick would chase me and I would run up over the the benches and the tables in the library and then the kids the chorus of dancers would then do exactly what we did but as dancers so so we would like do it kind of in real time it was very physical but then the dancers would come and do exactly the same thing. Only it would become dance because they would be the kids kind of mocking the grownups. And um, yeah, so, you know, I don't know.
0: No, I'm not a dancer. <laughs> with uh, Brigadoon, you were nominated for a Tony Award. And what was that whole experience like? Of- oh, it was great. I mean, it was a, you know, a dream. It was like
1: really cool. I mean, I was up with, um, Lauren Bacall for Woman of the Year and Cheetah Rivera and Linda Ronstadt, you know, and who's Meg Bussert, you know. So it was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so you know it was wonderful. It was a wonderful honor. And then I got the Theatre World Award for Music Man, which was, you know, in the same year. And then um, those awards for cable TV for Camelot, they were, they were called Ace Awards at the time. Now they're called Cable Ace. They don't exist anymore, but they were around for a while. Um, cable wanted to uh, recognize um, plays and musicals that were being captured on camera and then transferred to you know, PBS stations and, and home box office at first for us. So these were not remade shows. These were shows that were captured on stage um, and then you know put on the, the small screen,
0: so. And then your um other uh, starring role, probably, which we haven't talked about yet, is, of course, in Camelot. And so how did you first um come into that on the tour, I believe? that, that had been,
1: uh, it was going with uh, another cast at the time. Um, and we, uh, Richard Harris was stated, you know, was declared uh, the next, um, the, the tour was going to continue. And Richard Harris was coming in to play Arthur. And they wanted, you know, a new um, uh, a new Guinevere to come in with him. So it was a series of auditions, and I actually was. Let me see. Um, I was in California when I first auditioned because I think I must have been with *Music Man*, and um, you know, the director was out there, Frank. Um, oh dear, what's his name? Uh, anyway um I'll have to look that up uh I was able to audition um oh
0: you know, uh, Frank Dunlop
1: Frank Dunlop yes it is yes it is so Frank was out there uh looking and there were you know several ladies that were up there was um so it just it came up several times and then I was offered the part and uh they were in California um Richard Harris was went into the show and so I was going to come in and and Richard Harris was very nervous at the time because he had not been on stage in 20 years he'd been doing films he started as a stage actor and then went to do amazing work on films but he hadn't been on stage uh in a while and he was nervous about it and he had done Arthur in the film of Camelot and the Arthur uh in the stage play is a slightly different it's a different lens it's a different take so, um, you know, he had worked really hard on his young Arthur. Uh, and now this was an older, the way they reframed the show was Arthur is more mature at the very beginning scene. They kind of gave it up, you know, they, they bookended it. Uh, and, uh, and then they go back where he becomes younger and meets Guinevere. Um, so he was, he was quite nervous, uh, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we had a great tour And then we uh, part of his contract was that we we would go back to New York and and have, you know, I think it was three months run or something at the Winter Garden. And, um, you know, he could be, he, you know, he could, he has his own way about him. And, uh, you know, it was that I wasn't as close with him as I was with, you know, some of the other leading men that I worked with. And... um, you know it, it could it but it was a very different experience when we filmed it for home box office because then he was very comfortable uh in 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 that milieu and and uh, so that was a actually a very different experience than doing it eight times a week with him
0: um we've mentioned uh Julie Andrews a few times during this interview and then of course here you are playing in Julie Andrews role on Broadway, and so did you take inspiration from her and her? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Uh, Julie Andrews and Barbara Cook, the two, la- I got to know Barbara pretty well. Oh. Um they, Yes, you know, I grew up singing their songs and uh, wanting to be everything they did, and um yes, you know, no one could, in fact, I was often accused of, you know, don't sound like her, Oh, and um, it was because I think I stole, I, I was always stealing from people that I admired, um, you know, their intonations and their takes. And so a couple of, you know, music directors had to okay, get the recording out of your head, make, you know, make it your own. And, uh, sometimes that
0: was pretty hard to do. (laughs) And what was some of the advice that Alan J. Lerner gave you
1: about? Um, he liked the way I handled words, which was a a really cool thing because, um, some I've been accused of overpronouncing when I sing sometimes, and other people love it. So um, it, it just—I love words. I love words, um, especially paired with music. Uh, I don't know why, but I, that's something that comes up a lot when when I was reviewed as uh, diction and, and um, intonation and stuff like that, um, which gets pretty technical. But it's um, so, so he. Uh, Mr. Lerner certainly is a wordsmith and he you know I got a lot of his internal rhymes that made him happy (laughs) and um, I played with them you know sometimes um, singers don't either recognize or or uh, you know uh, press the stuff the poetic stuff sometimes they you know mostly they do but there is so much poetry in lyric writing and gosh when you've got you know someone like Lerner um, Again, what they gave you is brilliant. You know, you just have to figure out how to make it come out of the character that you're inhabiting. Um, so yeah, we talked a lot about lyrics and uh, meaning and melody and
0: assonance and consonant. So I, I don't want I don't want to keep you for uh, too much longer, but I would like to ask a few more shows if that's about a few more shows, if that's all right. Okay. And um, the first of those would be South Pacific with Richard Kiley. The great Richard Time.
1: yeah that was um a- another seminal experience for me um I was not the first person hired there was another lady hired and uh I believe she was going to give birth soon and <laughs> so they 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 decided that um you know they didn't want to risk anything with her health um so I was um I was brought in uh, he was amazing um there's an actor actor uh, in a musical, Richard Kiley. Uh, you know, I was working with the man of La Mancha. I mean, that's, <laughs> that, I was blown away. Um, and such, such a, a gentleman. And um, uh, again, he he encouraged me to be zany with, with um, I, I tapped into my, you know, my Irish background, the crazy zaniness. And um, not that I did her Irish, but I, I had that character in the back of my head. Um, I got scared of the dia- dialect, you know, they brought a really marvelous coach in for me because I had to sound like I was, you know, from Little Rock. Um, and I got scared and the, the gypsy run is, is uh, what we call the run without the whole orchestra and without any of the production in the theater before you go you know so it's like piano maybe drums and uh the whole cast and it's you know all the production and creative team are out there everybody's watching and so it's it's a big deal to do the gypsy run i stopped doing the accent because i got scared because it was uh, i don't know i just stopped so at the intermission (laughs) the port coach came back and he said Meg, you got to do this and he, he said it's all tied up in the bias thing it's all tied up you see you're gonna you know so <laughs> the second act I went out and I did what I had been practicing and it made a world of difference and it, it made me realize like you know I just I can't take that liberty I can't like not do something that's so or you know so that the, and then we we toured and it was uh there were some problems with the producing money actually so that kind of killed us but um when we opened and uh, we did get to play in California and I got a uh, telegram. That's what we used to do in the old days. we didn't email, we telegram people on opening night and I got a telegram from Mary Martin. Oh, wow. And I went, I started screaming and I ran into um, um, Richard's dressing room. So I just got a telegram from Mary Martin. And it said, um, uh, hope that you'll be you'll be happy. Let's see what is it, the, the, um, ah, um, make sure that you always have hope, um, the cockeyed optimist, you know, that song, make sure you always have hope and you'll have, um, success or you'll have happiness the rest of your life, it was something like that, it was a, a kind of a, an adjusted, modified quote from cockeyed optimist, um, and it, it just was, you know, very astounding, <laughs> now I have a lot of experiences like that with Barbara Cook, you know, and, and oh. Did, but no so it, it was a um again I was very disappointed that it didn't come in because it was going to come mm-hmm. but that was had nothing to do with us it really was all involved in some sort of production thing and Brand Barrett was uh um cable that was kind of an astounding performance that young man went off and did a whole lot of things and it was really cool yeah.
0: and so I'd love to ask you about just one more show and damn Yankees oh I, yeah returned to in the 90s.
1: Yeah. Well that was that was part of my coming back in as, you know, an older character. Um so I was covering, um I was I was the understudy and so I had to be in the show and the, the women don't do a lot in that. Um they do the opening scene with their husbands and then I kind of sat around a lot. Um and I did go on uh, a bunch of times. Um and then later I I did other productions of um but that was a terrific experience. Um because we started first with, um, let's see, Rob uh, Marshall choreographing it. His work was, Jack O'Brien directed it, but Rob Marshall's choreography with the the, the baseball players was so much fun. I mean, it was just really remarkable. And um, I don't know, it was just uh, working. It's a great story. It's an absolutely great story. And then when Jerry Lewis came in, it became a whole nother story. So it's like, Debbie Reynolds and Jane Powell and 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 um, uh, what's his name Um, the first Victor Garber Victor Garber was so amazing and then um, Jerry Lewis came in and again Jerry has that um, similar but different to Dick Van Dyke kind of understanding of humor and he had so much fun again being evil uh, I think same experience I had with Carlotta and you know, he he wasn't the funny good guy, he was the funny bad guy. And he had a blast with that. Um, and Victor Garber always had, he always enjoyed that. So it was, again, it was a, uh, a landmark show in the annals of musical theater history. And it was being looked at um, again with some fresh eyes and a terrific, Horrific experience. And for me, it was uh, a really wonderful entry into um, those interesting older roles. You know, oh. I mean, like Mother Atlas, I've done that five times, five different productions and never on Broadway, but all around the country, you know, and um, yeah, those are fun roles. Mrs. <laughs> Higgins's, you know, the, Mrs. You know the, one, the, the older ladies who have a little bit of wisdom and something to say, so.
0: <laughs> and um, my very last question is, um, after and during such a long and amazing career, what advice would you give to somebody just starting out?
1: Um, the, the same thing, I, I you know, talked to my students, I did talk to my students about, um, you'll always be an artist. Uh, once you identify yourself as an artist, whatever that is, you always will be one. So you, you need to find out what avenues um, you can you can make in your life. Uh, sometimes I've been reconnecting with a lot of my students on LinkedIn and stuff, and I am thrilled at where they have gone. Um, they may have left the stage, but they have gone and uh, working in the industry or working in corporate world in an artistic way, um, doing all sorts of things. So you know, you may, you may, we all, me, I wanted to be on Broadway. That's why I came to New York. And that's why I was fortunate to get work and and studied. Uh, A lot of people want to be on Broadway and it's not going to happen. But that doesn't mean that all that creativity and all that energy uh, is just going to go fallow. I mean, we're finding that now in, in these COVID craziness lockdowns where theater just went away. What do you do? So many people have discovered parallel careers that satisfy them or they can make a living uh, and there's a huge artistic creative input uh, some of them are, are producing in, in a variety of different ways and um, so I think the first thing to recognize as a young person is are you an artist or is it just a hobby you know do you have something really to say from inside and uh, what is your mode or form of expressing that you know is it singing is it dancing is it drawing is it writing um, Is it helping other people do stuff? (laughs) Uh, So uh, I think teachers are all artists as far as I'm concerned. Their creativity, working with young people at any age is astoundingly remarkable if they're good teachers. And um, yeah, so it's it's a, a complicated world. And I think you probably have seven careers in a lifetime today.
0: Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been an honor to talk to you.
1: Oh, Charles, it's so much fun to get to know you and know that you're doing this. It is so, I think what you're doing is so important. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, You're kind of cataloging uh, a lot of us. And, uh, but it's really encouraging to see um, uh, a person such as you with this much enthusiasm and passion for theater. So I thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for tuning in, and remember to come back next time when I've got something quite special cooked up for you. A celebration of the 2021 Tony Awards, featuring an extended interview with legendary press agent Irene Gandy, a 2021 Tony Awards honoree, plus some footage from the press room, where I had the chance to briefly talk to Lois Smith, Matthew Lopez, Kenny Leon, and many other winners. So I hope you'll tune back in for that, and thanks for listening.